Holy. We're continuing our teaching through um, the entire New Testament. We've been going through the New Testament the last several months. And um, if you've been a part of the Get Drenched devotional series, then you should be about a month away from being completed. It's been 90 days through all the texts of Scripture. If, if you um, didn't get a chance to start with us, and maybe you haven't done it yet, but you would still like resources to do it, we still have journals available in the office. And like Bert said, the power of God's word is very real. And we want to encourage you to be more deeply engaged with God's word. So if you'd like a very easy, very connected devotional to the word that walks you through the entire New Testament, gives you an opportunity to learn more deeply what God's truths are for us there, please contact us here at the office and we'll uh, certainly make sure that you get that. As we go to God's word this morning, let's pray for his blessing and his presence. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word in our hearts and our lives. We praise you that, Lord, you have spoken truth to us. You have made your presence known. You have given us things, Lord, that open up your world to us in a deeper understanding. May we plumb the depths of your word more deeply. And this morning, may we learn even more what our ministry is, what's our work, and how, Lord, we do that to the best of our ability and your ability in us. I pray, Father, that you meet us where we're at. For those who need comfort, Lord, speak words of comfort. For those who need hope, speak words of hope. For those who need challenge, Lord, do that too. For those who need love, Lord, meet us in your love. Through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of your spirit, Lord, we pray all these things in that name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, question for you. How many of you know who David De Gea is? Anyone know David De Gea? I see, I'm, I'm proud of you, son. My son Troy knows who David De Gea is. Who's David De Gea, Troy? He's the goalkeeper for Manchester United. He's also the goalkeeper for the Spanish national team. All right? And if you don't, you, you, obviously you don't know who David De Gea is. But he's, since he's a, 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 a goalkeeper, he's actually considered, he's, there, it's always changing. At different times, he's been considered the best soccer goalkeeper on the planet. Like, he is the absolute best at his job. And those of you who know soccer, you know that soccer is the world's most popular sport because it is the sport of the Lord Jesus Christ, just so we're clear. It is the world's most popular sport. That means to the vast majority of, of the world, when it comes to goalkeepers, David De Gea is the top of the heap. Now, I'm just going to ask you one question. It's a simple question. What do you think is the primary job of David De Gea in being a goalkeeper for Manchester United? What's his primary job? What is he supposed to do? Not let goals in, right? I mean, that's the job of a goalkeeper, ultimately. Sure, they have other minor jobs. Maybe you need to be a good teammate. Maybe you need to be, um, you know, you have, need to have good touch skills with the defenders around you. You need to be able to do this or do that. But ultimately, your effectiveness, your job hinges on whether or not you can stop the soccer ball from going into your net. 
It's a very simple and it's a very clear job. And you would never go up to David de Gea and ask, what is your job? And he wouldn't be able to tell you that. He knows what it is. And he, every time he takes the field with Manchester United or the Spanish national team, knows exactly what it is that he is supposed to do. That's a really good lesson for us. Because we too have a job, but the challenge is that sometimes we're not even sure as Christians and followers of Jesus what our job is. We're not even sure what it is. I mean, we, we think we know, or, or we certainly, okay, well, we, well, is it the greatest, greatest um, commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the second commandment, like it. Or is it to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the Great Commission? Is it, is it some other part to live into true religion? As Jesus said in the parable of the sheep and the goats, to serve the poor, to care for the widowed and the orphan, to help clothe the naked, to meet those who are sick and in prison, to give water to those who are thirsty. Is that the job? The challenge sometimes that we have is, what is our primary purpose as followers of Jesus? And this morning, I think that Paul, the apostle, gives us a, a much deeper and clearer understanding of how we live into all those really big, great things that God calls us to in the rest of Scripture by knowing exactly what our job is. He does that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to study together the whole chapter. We're going to begin by reading the first six verses. Of the text, and it says these words there. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. Okay, now let's begin by asking this question. In the first sentence we have there, we have Paul describing this ministry. Again, the question is, what is this ministry that Paul is saying that we have and that we need to live into? Well, if you're going to understand what that this ministry is, we actually need to move a little bit further back. And if we go back to verse or chapter three, verses seven through nine, we say here this. Now, if the ministry that brought death, now that ministry is Old Testament law given to Moses and to the people of Israel. You know, the here's what you're supposed to do to get it right in the eyes of God sort of ministry. 
which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So we get this Old Testament ministry, which he's saying we we actually need to move away from because the Old Testament ministry of showing the law, getting it right, making sure that you have all your to-dos checked off in order to love God. Now it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? That's probably not something that you've thought of very much. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the Spirit's work on earth supposed to do? In fact, if you were to go into a Christian bookstore or to go on Amazon and search this phrase, Christian books on the Holy Spirit, do you have any idea that how many you'd come up with? Thousands. Thousands. You'd have them from all over the place. I think Pastor Cock probably has half of them on his bookshelf, don't you, sir? Lots of gifts, lots of books about the Spirit out there. What's the Spirit's work? Well, let me tell you, actually, one of my favorite phrases and illustrations about what the Spirit does. It's actually from a guy named J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer is a uh, theologian of the last, let's say, 60, 70 years in this country, and he's brought some really great things. One of his classic books is called Knowing God, and in the book that he just actually redid about five or six years ago called Life in the Spirit, he says that the Spirit's work is actually to be a floodlight, okay? A floodlight. Now, we actually have good examples of floodlights up here. Okay, I'm standing in floodlights. There's floodlights at the back of the stage. Now, what do those floodlights do? They illuminate. What do those floodlights do? Try to make me look good. That's right. And it takes them a lot of work, believe me. Believe me. And you know what's funny is that if the floodlights go off, and I'm not going to have them turned off, but if they turn them off, you can't see me nearly as well. And it's even more important with the camera, the people who are watching online or watching live stream right now can't see me because the floodlight illuminates. These floodlights at the back illuminate the wall in the way which helps us actually better see what's going on here. But here's my question. Can you see the floodlight? Can you see the floodlight itself? You can see the frame of the floodlight, but there's not a person, except maybe one of those if you're on the side, that you can actually see the floodlight, can you? Especially at the back. All of them are guarded. You can't see the actual unit of the floodlight, but it still does its work. So, if the Spirit's ministry is to be a floodlight, what is it supposed to be illuminating? Anyone? What do you think? What is the spirit to be illuminating? What's the Sunday school answer? Always, 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 always. The answer is always Jesus. The spirit's job is to illuminate Jesus and the spirit doesn't have to be seen to do the work of illuminating Jesus and our new work not the old work of the law our new work of the spirit is then to what illuminate 
Jesus. Friends, that's our job. David De Gea, don't let goals in. Followers of Jesus, illuminate Jesus. Show the world Jesus. Make the name of Jesus known, even in a way maybe perhaps that you are not seen, but instead Christ is illuminated. So when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, what are we doing? We are illuminating Jesus. As we go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, what are we doing? We are illuminating Jesus. That's our primary job. The word Jesus should drip from our lips and our actions and our lives every day. Because if not, what are we doing? It's like David De Gea picking up a hockey stick. Doesn't make sense. It's not his job. Our job is to illuminate Christ and to be obedient to the Spirit as it moves us to illuminate Christ. Let's continue then, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure, this ministry of the Spirit, okay? It's in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Okay, get this image, right? And we actually, they're, they're, they're not jars of clay, they're jars of reed. You can't tell, these are reeds. But similar to actually the sort of image that Paul is giving. Imagine that this was made of clay. This sort of jar is what we've, what we've been described as. Does anyone have, has anyone ever had a jar of clay? We had one at our house once. A couple of them right beside the fireplace. And Troy, our son, playing soccer in the house, you know what happened to those jars of clay, right? We got more than a couple of them that cracked and got destroyed, right? Because are jars of clay super strong? They're not. In fact, there was a part of me that was thinking I would bring one of the old mugs from down in the river house that are, we have tons of them in our coffee, uh, coffee kitchen, right? Bring one of those up here and then to make a point and sound really cool, I'd break the mug made out of clay here on the pulpit. The only problem is, is I couldn't guarantee that DeWanda might not get her eye poked out. So I didn't want because they're fragile. Friends, you are fragile. You are that jar of clay. You are the jar of clay who is imperfect. You are the jar of clay who is broken. You are the jar of clay who sometimes doesn't tell the truth. Sometimes you lust. Sometimes you get really, really mad. Sometimes you're greedy. 
Sometimes you're foolish. Sometimes you speak words that are harsh and mean and hurtful to others. All of that is describing, in essence, our jar of clayness. And yet, who has God given us the ministry of the Spirit? Who has God given the ministry of the Spirit to? You. This is your ministry. This is my ministry. Given to me, a messed up, broken individual who has all kinds of weakness and all kinds of frailties just like you. In fact, I will tell you, actually, one of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor. I have the opportunity to get to know many of you, and oftentimes we've talked, and I've had, we've had the opportunity for me to hear your story. And every time I hear a story of yours about God's work in your life, I'll tell you this, Virtually every time I'm inspired. You know why? Because almost every single one of you will say, well, you know, I don't really have much. I don't really do much in the kingdom. I don't really have all these different things that I'm doing. I'm not a preacher like you. I'm not, I'm not an evangelist who tells thousands about Jesus. I have this thing that I do. I have this, this place. Sarah Leck actually just recently talked about being a youth group leader. She cares about kids because she was passionate about it when she was a kid in her church. And she wants to see others do it. Listen to me. Sarah Leck can be a part of God's work in the life of a junior high or a high school student so that they know the power of Jesus. And yet Sarah will tell you that she doesn't have much to offer. Because she's a jar of clay. All of us feel that way. But the reality of it is that all of us do great things in the kingdom of God if we are but willing to be used of God. We are the sort of people that God can do bigger things than you could ever ask for or imagine. I think I've said this to you before. If I were to go back to my high school for a reunion and people were to know I'm a pastor who gets to do this every week. They would think, who was drunk enough to give that guy a job? <laughs> because frankly, I am that jar of clay. I have been for a long time and people have known that for a long time. And yet, miraculously, God can use me. God can use you. Your abilities, your frailties, even your brokenness become powerful movements in the kingdom of God to bring life out of death. If you and I are but willing to be into the ministry of the Spirit, which is what? What's the ministry of the Spirit? To illuminate Jesus. So if we're illuminating Jesus as jars of clay, what are we saying? We're saying the only way that I can do anything possible is because of Jesus, Sunday school answer, friends, remember it every time. It's always Jesus. The only way that I can do this, the only way that you can do this, the only way that the kingdom of God grows through anybody is Jesus. And then we live into that. And friends, if you don't know that life, if you're here this morning not knowing, not understanding what this whole Christianity, what this Bible thing that 
that Bird is talking about, what others share with you, what you've heard over the course of years, let me tell you, it's Jesus you're looking for. And we would love to show him to you and tell you about him and talk to you about him, even though we'll get it wrong sometimes. And even though it'll be messed up sometimes. Why? Because we're jars of clay. But out of that death of our brokenness, Christ's life can come. Friends, that's our work. That's our job. That's our focus. Verses 13 through 15. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, what's the important word here? There's a couple important words that I want you to highlight, but the most important word here in this whole section to me is that word, no. If you have your Bible, I want you to take your highlighter, your pen, and highlight no, K-N-O-W. No, to know something. To know something means that that. When we, we know it, it's, it's, it's part of us. And because it's part of us, we operate in everything around those circumstances within that knowledge. For example, gravity. How many of you know that gravity exists? You can't see gravity. And you know, I mean, there's... Alan could probably give us ideas of how gravity is uh, altered at different times in different ways in different places because he's smarter than almost everyone in the room. But gravity is a constant, and we know it. If I do this, gravity is at work. If you're going to stand up, you got to fight gravity. When you're driving home on the street, your car stays on the road because of gravity. And you know that, so you live into it. Knowing the redemption of Jesus Christ means that everything we do, in the same way that everything we do is altered by our knowledge of gravity, we know and we live into that in everything. We know these things and thus our lives become an illumination for Jesus because we know the only good things in us are redeemed by Jesus. So we share it. The only ability that we have to talk to somebody about Jesus is Jesus himself. So we know that. We live into it. The only ability that we have to use the gifts and abilities that God has given us to see his kingdom grow is Jesus. So we live into that. Knowledge brings power. But you know how you get knowledge? I'm actually, knowledge is, is, comes from, it's connected really closely to faith. It means you got to believe. It means you have to trust that something is true, even if you can't see it. We hear that from Hebrews chapter 11. 
Even if you can't see all these things. Friends, even if you don't, you're not sure sometimes that Christ is alive in you. Even if you're not sure that Christ still loves you. And I know that some of you have come to me at different times and say, I just can't feel his love. That's where our knowledge, our head kicks in. And we say, I will live into that knowledge. Even though I can't feel or see gravity, I'm going to live into that. Even though I don't know always Jesus is, how he is at work and I don't know his presence or I can't feel him, I'm still going to live into that knowledge. And that knowledge then has power because it's based in our faith. But that takes courage. Friends, following Jesus is a courageous activity. It's one of those things where you can't just can't just say that Christian life is going to be easy because it's not. It takes great courage. Great courage to illuminate Jesus because sometimes it gets tough. Let's talk about how tough it gets. 16 through 18. Therefore, outwardly, or therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly We are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, hear this phrase. Say it again. Listen closely. For our light and momentary troubles. Underline that. How many of you feel that you are going through light and momentary troubles? You're probably not feeling that it's light or momentary, do you? It probably hurts. It's probably pretty hard. It's a struggle sometimes. Bankruptcy or not having a job doesn't feel like a light or momentary trouble. Cancer doesn't feel like a light or momentary trouble. Divorce doesn't feel like a light or momentary trouble. The death of a loved one doesn't feel that way. How in the world can we hear that phrase from Paul? Your light and momentary troubles in terms of our lives. Well, he's comparing it, of course, to the future. And he's saying, as you live into illuminating Jesus with all of your life, even with your brokenness, even with your sin, your frailty, your jar of clay, tough stuff is going to come. And we hear that when we hear the jar of clay uh, described. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have times when you feel that brokenness, when you feel surrounded. You're going to have times when you feel like you can't even breathe but it's a, it's okay it's a light and momentary trouble and the future is eternal it's hard to describe it that way and feel good about it isn't it because we're going through our reality right now but let me speak about it this way oh shoot becca left the room that's too bad i was gonna have a little conversation with becca here um courtney you are so pregnant right now, right? You are pregnant. Is being pregnant really easy? Not all the time. You've already had a child. How did the labor and delivery go? And was it work? 
It wasn't easy? You mean it didn't just go smooth and all of a sudden baby there and everyone's like, it's easy? It didn't work that way. That's surprising. <laughs> I mean, isn't it, it, of course it's not. It's, it's a really hard, hard journey. Krista and Richard, how long did it take for you to get Molly? Two years. How long did, how much paperwork did you have to fill out? This much, Krista says. They adopted Molly from China. Took a long time. You wondered sometimes if it was going to work, didn't you? You wondered sometimes if it was going to happen the way that you expected to happen. And finally, when you got on the plane and you got that child, how did you feel when you got Molly? How did you feel at the end of your first Incredible. All of a sudden, the pile of paperwork doesn't feel so hard, does it? All of a sudden, the couple days worth of labor and delivery doesn't feel so hard. In fact, there's a reason, people say, why birth or pregnancy takes nine months. So that you forget how hard it was to actually have the baby in order to have another one. I don't think that's completely untrue. Because... Having a child is hard. But afterwards, what might you say about the labor and delivery process? It is a light and momentary trouble. After receiving your child through adoption, all that paperwork and all that time are light and momentary troubles. Because all of a sudden, we have the beauty of the fullness of life. The eternity is open before us and our jar of clay is made new and redeemed to its fullness. And instead of us having to illuminate Jesus, his light illuminates us for all eternity. Friends, living into this ministry of the Spirit to illuminate Jesus means there are challenges for us ahead. Hard work. We have things that are going to sometimes break us a little. There are going to be hard conversations. There are going to be challenging relationships. But in the end, all of those burdens, all of those things might be described as a light and momentary trouble because now we see darkly but then we'll see face to face. We got that to look forward to. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ. May we live into that call, to that job, to that purpose, to illuminate you, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. May we live into that spirit, Lord, with all faithfulness, even with our jar of clay. I pray, Lord, that even as we walk through this Christmas season, as we walk through um, Thanksgiving this week and the weeks ahead, that we celebrate Advent and the season of preparation for Jesus, Lord, that me, we might with our lives and then illuminate you more fully in a time of year when even the word Christmas drips your name to the world. Lord, may we be the one to shine the light the brightest towards it. 
Not just with our words, but also then with our actions, with our lives. How we love others, care for others, serve others. How we love you, serve you. And Father, by doing that, that we might then illuminate Jesus to the world in a way that the world can then see him clearly as the one who has loved them, loved them enough to die for them, and loved them enough to now live for them in your presence for all eternity. Father, you're the only one who can do this work in us. We pray you do it today in Christ. Amen.